study. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel 22 this morning. Uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of focus on a really obscure verse uh, that takes place during the time when David is running from Saul. Some of you know that account in Samuel when David has been um, anointed king by Samuel, but um, he's waiting. There's a, there's a delay there because Saul is still the king, and even though David's been anointed as the king, Saul refuses to relinquish the throne. And this passage, 1 Samuel 22, takes place during that time. Remember that Saul was the people's choice for king. He was not really God's choice. The people demanded a king. God was supposed to be their king. It was supposed to be a theocracy, not a democracy. But the people said, we want a human. We want somebody that will rule over us. So instead of choosing the person who had spiritual maturity and spiritual integrity and was a, a leader of God's order, instead they chose the one who was the tallest and the best looking and seemed like he would be a good leader. And the problem was very quickly it was exposed that Saul was not the right person to lead the people of God. And very quickly he started to make mistakes and act in a very flawed and selfish and unholy way. And that created a crisis because the people were not being led by the Lord because the leader did not want to lead them by the Lord. So God says to Samuel, the prophet, he says, let's go find my man because I've got somebody that I intend to lead this nation. And after Samuel kind of tries to think of all the people that would potentially be a great leader, he goes to the house of Jesse. And even Jesse, David's father, doesn't see the potential in, Jacob, uh, in uh, David. He sees all the other sons, uh, Eliab and Abedinar, that are, that are the stronger, older guys. And he says, what about these? And God says, no, that's not the one I want. I want David. So Samuel anoints David and he becomes king. But that makes Saul angry. It doesn't make Saul angry to the point that he realized that he squandered what God has given him and that he repents and becomes angry at his own sin and his own failure. Instead, he becomes angry at God and he becomes angry at David. That David now is the, the choice of the Lord. And, and even though David's been loyal to him, and, and has served him in the palace, even though David rescued Israel from Goliath's challenge and the Philistines, now Saul sets out in his mind and in his heart to kill David. And he pursues him into the desert, and David runs like an animal and hides in caves until the Lord finally removes Saul and puts him in as king. So that's kind of the quick background to 1 Samuel 22. And now there's a, there's a transition point here in terms of what God is doing and in terms of what David's doing. And I want to just focus again on kind of this strange verse in 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to see here what the situation was, how David responded, and what God did as a result of that. So we'll look at a couple verses this morning. But start 1 Samuel 22, 1. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave at Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Verse 2 is the verse for the morning. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Now, as I was reading and studying this week, I was in 1 Samuel reading some chapters here, and, 
And I was having kind of a rough day as I was reading this particular section of Scripture. And as soon as I read those two verses, the Spirit of God impressed it upon my heart that it was very important. And he ministered me and encouraged me. But, but I kept reading it. I kept going back to verse 2, even later in the week, because it seemed like such an odd detail for the Holy Spirit to include. And it seemed like such, a, such an unexpected way for the Lord to provide for someone who loved him. Now, whenever we study the Bible, we have to make sure that, that we really read the details and that we really ask questions. We don't just glide over a verse like that and say, well, that's not really important and I don't know how to apply that to my life, so, so that just can't be very important. Spend some time in the Old Testament. Spend some time in the New Testament. See the richness of Scripture because in everything God wants to teach us, and here in this passage, we see kind of the depth of God's truth that, that's so far beyond what we can imagine. Because as I read those verses, the Spirit of God, I'm not being mystical here, here the, the Spirit of God said, that's what you need to preach Sunday. I said, well, that's kind of a strange passage to preach Sunday. Everyone who is discontented and in debt and, and you know, what was the other thing, in distress? How's that going to encourage the congregation? God said, you've got to, you've got to take this apart. When we study Scripture, when we take time with Scripture, when we really let it settle in and we start to ask some questions, that's when the application becomes clear. Because I knew the Lord was teaching me some things personally, but, but as I continued to study it, and as that word started to penetrate my heart and my mind, I became very excited about what the Lord was saying in this particular text. Now, look back at it because it's very simple, but there's a lot here. In verse 1, we're told that David is in the cave of Adullam. Now, Adullam was a region and a city that was southwest of Jerusalem. So if you're looking at a map of Israel, and Jerusalem's right here. I'll do it for your benefit. Jerusalem's right here, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea. Adullam was southwest. It was toward the Mediterranean and south of where Jerusalem was. It's kind of a rugged region, very desert-like. There's not a lot of vegetation. There aren't a lot of resources. There was a town called Adullam, but David couldn't be seen because he's running away from Saul. So he goes and hides in this cave in Adullam. And once his family, you see in the text, once his family kind of finds out where he is, they come down and they, they're, they're together with him and they support him, which was understandable. And eventually in verse 3, David's going to find some protection for him by, by talking to the king of Moab, which is a region close by, and saying, can you take my parents and, and kind of protect them and watch them because I'm on the run and they can't be wandering through the desert with me. It's really a sad, pitiful kind of picture that we're seeing here. Here's the anointed king of Israel, the man after God's heart, the one whose God's favor is resting on, and now he has to go to a pagan king for help to safeguard his family, and it's going to get even worse because not only is he hiding in a cave and running like a dog, but we see in verse 2 who David's crew is. David's crew is not real impressive. And, and we'd look at that and we'd say, well, that's kind of that's discouraging. Is that how God helps us? Until we realize that God's ways are much better than our ways. And God's wisdom is far above our wisdom. And what seems to be lacking in victory will always be turned around by the Lord when we honor him and seek him. 
If you're in a place this morning where you're not feeling victory, you're not feeling triumph, you're not feeling like an overcomer, you're not feeling like more than a conqueror. Emotions are a powerful thing, aren't they? And we get very discouraged and very depressed and, and kind of beat down by life. But listen, God always can turn that, that discouragement into victory because God is the God of victory. And when we seek Him and when we trust Him and when we honor Him, He will be gracious and wonderful to us. So you may feel worried and stressed and fearful this morning, but the Lord will provide. But at the moment, when we get to verse 2, it doesn't seem like there's a lot to work with. Because look at the three qualities that describe the people that were around Jacob. Uh, why do I keep saying Jacob? Thinking about my son. The people that were around David. Now look at this, because this is, this is not cheery in any way. It says, everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to David. Now, that's the team you want to work with, right? All right, let's gather everybody. Let's put together a team. We got to fight Saul. Let's get everybody who's in distress and everybody who's in debt and everybody who's discontented. You can just feel the joy, right? You can just feel the energy and the power of this bunch of people. And, and, and again, this seems like such a strange detail that as I read it, I kept coming back and saying, Lord, did I read that right? Is this how you're helping and providing for David? Because he's facing these huge armies that Saul has, who are trained, equipped, who have all the weaponry. They're, they're, they're confident in their ability to fight. They, they vastly outnumber who David has. David has 400 people, and these guys are stressed and frustrated and discouraged and lifeless. So how in the world is David going to get any victory over this? But it says, he gathered those who were distressed, who were in debt, and those who were discontented, and he became the captain over them. Now, ask yourself, because these are the questions we want to ask of the text, what's in David's mind at this point? What's he thinking? Is he starting to doubt the Lord? Is he starting to question whether or not he's really going to become king? Is he incredulous that God wouldn't bring him people who are strong and who are warriors and who are full of faith and who are, and who are, and who are uh, victorious in, in the way they're living and who come and can encourage him? Instead, he's got the people who are, who are discouraged and distressed and, and frustrated and beaten down and kind of, oh, they're just walking around with their shoulders off. I mean, the Spirit doesn't give that detail for no reason, right? It's important that he includes that. So let's get some insight into what David's thinking. Keep your place here and go over to Psalm chapter 40, oh, 142. Psalm chapter 142. And the reason I want to take you to Psalm 142 is David wrote this psalm when he was at the cave at Adullam. This is what's coming out of David's heart. Well, we know who's around him. We know his situation. We know he's uh, given his family over to somebody else to watch them. So if we're trying to get inside the mindset of David at this point, we have to say, what's he thinking? Well, Psalm 142 tells us exactly what he's thinking. Let's read verses 1 to 4. I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. 
When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. In the way where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there's no one who regards me. There's no escape for me, and no one cares for my soul. Any questions about how David's feeling here? Look at the words that he uses. Complaint, trouble, my spirit is overwhelmed. There's a trap that's been hidden for me by my enemies. I feel no sense of escape. There's no one who really cares about me. There's no one who regards me. There's no one that's comforting me. I'm surrounded by this bunch of people that, that just don't bring anything to the table. And Lord, I'm sitting here in a cave and I've got your promise, but I'm discouraged too. Highly positive stuff, right? This is why you came to church this morning, so you could hear about this. Actually, it is. Because if this is you this morning, God's got a word for you. Now keep your place there and go back to 1 Samuel 22 for a second. And let's talk about these people that were around him. They're distressed, they're in debt, and they're discontented. So there's not going to be much help there. Now, who were these guys? Why did they feel this way? What was going on that, that caused them to be in this mode? Because obviously they're aligning with David. Obviously they're going against the grain and going against uh, the popular culture. And, and they're standing with David. He's a pariah at this point to most of the country. Nobody wants to align with him. Saul's very powerful. Saul's pursuing him. The whole country knows it. So, so what caused them to be distressed and discontented? Well, we got to look back at the text because it's not hard to quickly see that they were this way because of Saul's sin. And they were this way because of Saul's failure to live for the Lord and to lead the nation spiritually. So drop back to chapter 13 just for a second. We won't read them because of time. But let's look at four examples that are clear from the text of why Saul was leading poorly. Just write these down. You can study them this week if you want to uh, study quiz or study uh, focus this week. Spend some time in 1 Samuel. I love the book of 1 Samuel. But in chapter 13, verses 8 to 14, Saul supersedes the will of the Lord. The first thing Saul did that was his, his sin and his mistake and the reason why his kingdom didn't last is he superseded the will of the Lord by being impatient and by taking upon himself to act. Now Saul was instructed by Samuel, wait seven days. I'm going to come in seven days and I'm going to offer the burnt offering to the Lord. At the seventh day, Samuel doesn't come right on time. And Saul gets very impatient. And Saul, you can kind of see him looking at his watch going. He said he was going to be here at 1020. He's not here at 1020. Why is he not here at 1020? You know what? I'm so tired of waiting. That old man never comes. You know what? I, I, we can't wait any longer. I'm just going to do it myself. And Saul goes in and he burns the burnt offering in the, in the uh, temple. and uh, Excuse me, in the tabernacle. And he comes out and there's Samuel. And Samuel says to him, what did you do? I said I was going to be here the seventh day. Why did you go in and burn the burnt offering before the Lord when that was my job? And Saul says, well, I was worried about the people taking off. You know how the people are. They're so impatient. 
And they're always watching the clock. And you know what? The Philistines are around us and they're causing all kinds of havoc. So, so here's what he says. He says, I forced myself to make the sacrifice. I, I, I didn't have a choice, Samuel. Come on, you know the people. The people are so, so antsy and, and, and they just they were ready to go and you didn't come on time and the Philistines are threatening us and, and, and I just, I had to do it. I had to disobey. I had to force myself to offer the sacrifice. How many know it's never good to care more about people's opinions than about the Lord's opinion? That's what he did. He cared about people's opinions. Especially when the Lord gives clear instructions to us, we have to follow the word of the Lord because God will never bless disobedience no matter how desperate the situation is. And Samuel tells him here in verse 13, if you look at it, that because he acted foolishly that God was going to cut his kingdom short. He could have been, had, had an eternal kingdom like David, but that wasn't going to happen now. Then quickly in chapter 14, verse 24, we see that even though the Lord was helping Saul with battles, the second problem he had is he became preoccupied with getting revenge on his enemies. He told the people, you can't eat until I get my vengeance. We're, we got some battles to fight, and, and because I want to win these, and because it's important that I get vengeance against my enemies, nobody's going to eat until I get my vengeance. Now that was a foolish and self-serving command and it created an issue because later his son Jonathan who hadn't heard about it came in from battle and he was hungry and he found some honey and he ate it and Saul was so warped in his mind and so twisted in terms of following something that wasn't right that he says Jonathan I've got to kill you his own son I've got to kill you. You disobeyed this command that I gave. Well, Dad, I didn't know about it. Well, it doesn't matter. I, I, I've got to save face. The people will think less of me if I don't do this. So, so, Jonathan, I'm sorry. Because you ate the honey, I've got to kill you. And the people say, wait a second, time out. Saul, that's not right. Jonathan didn't know. Well, no, and they rescued Jonathan from the hand of his father, who was trying to still fulfill a ridiculous, ungodly command that he made because his heart wasn't right. Then you see third in verses 47 to 52, same chapter, that Israel's in constant war. Israel's in constant war because of Saul's spiritual immaturity and the war is against the Philistines. Anytime you see war by Israel against the Philistines in the Old Testament, it signals a spiritual problem. The Philistines were Israel's arch rivals. And you see them fight the Moabites and the Canaanites and the uh, Perizzites and the whatever, Hittites. There are a lot of people that Israel fight in the Old Testament. But when you see the Philistines, that's God saying there's a spiritual problem and I'm sending your arch rivals in to deal with it. So Israel's in constant war with the Philistines because of Israel's sin and because of Saul's rebellion. And the people now were in rebellion because their leader was in rebellion. So the first problem is he supersedes the will of the Lord. Second problem is he becomes preoccupied with getting revenge. Third problem is he, he's in constant war. And then fourth, in chapter 15, verses 1 to 9, he directly disobeys the Lord. He doesn't follow Samuel's command to completely destroy the enemy. And the result of that, quickly, is that God, uh, Samuel says to him, God's taking away your kingdom. Your, your kingdom now is done. I told you it wasn't going to be eternal. Now it's finished. And, and instead of repenting, instead of falling on his face and saying, Lord, I'm so sorry, I've sinned against you, now Saul decides to go on attack 
against David. So it's understandable that the kingdom's a mess. It's understandable that God's uh, anointed person, David, is being opposed. And now the people that are spiritually minded are discouraged. Because when we disobey the Lord, it negatively impacts other people. When we disobey the Lord, two things are going to happen. It's either going to drag other people along and away from the Lord, or the spiritually minded people are going to be stirred up to turn back to the Lord and seek truth and seek what's right. Now that's what's happening here. Most of the nations in rebellion, most of the nations turning away from the Lord, most of the nations now starting to think about worshiping idols, and they're being dragged right along with Saul. But here's these 400 people that are discontented and and discouraged and in debt, and, and they're saying, David, we want to align with you because we see the Lord working. Now, as we see that, stop and ask yourself a couple questions. Because we each have to evaluate where we're going. And as I ask these three questions, I really want you to think about the first thing that comes to your mind. All right? Question number one. What distresses you? What distresses you? What burdens you? What, what, what causes you grief? Second question. What's the debt that preoccupies your heart and mind this morning? What, what's, what's got you concerned, or what, what are you thinking about in terms of debt? And third, what are you discontented about? What are you discontented about? Now, it is, it is very likely that our immediate innate reaction to each of those questions is directed toward ourselves and toward our situation. Problems in our life, bills we can't pay, personal frustration, relationship problems, health issues, whatever. That's innate in us. That's, that's, that's kind of the immediate burden that comes to our mind is our problems and the things that we're dealing with. And the danger of that is if we become more focused on that instead of focused on the Lord's provision, it will mess us up spiritually and personally. Now again, that's natural to us. That's that's our humanity. But as believers, we're told that we have a new nature. We're told that we have a renewed mind. We're told that the word and the spirit of God tell us what's right. And that should change not only our focus, but it should change what we're burdened about. So let me kind of tell you what the Lord put on my heart as I read this text. Instead of being distressed about our problems, we should be distressed about sin. We should be distressed about how it damages our lives, how it damages relationships, how it damages the world. The spiritual state of the world this morning is not holy, and it's not godly, and it's not biblical. And you know what? We should be distressed about that. And it should humble us, and it should break us. Instead of becoming more arrogant or self-righteous or self-centered, it should humble us. We should be distressed this morning about sin. Instead of being preoccupied about the debt that comes from our possessions, we should be overwhelmed by the debt that was paid by Jesus Christ. 
We should be humbled by how unworthy we are of his grace and his mercy. And then we should be so full of praise and gratitude and Romans 1 type of worship where we're not conformed to the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. The debt that we should be burdened about this morning is the debt that Jesus had to pay to free us from sin. And then... What are we discontented about? Instead of being discontented about our lives and our relationships and not getting our way, we should be discontented with the spiritual status quo in our life. We should be discontented with stunted maturation. We should be discontented with seeing people around us not know Christ and not live for Christ. And that should push us to spiritual maturity and it should push us to evangelism and it should push us to discipleship and making see, uh, see believers come to Christ and grow in their faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to think that way. You say, well, that's unrealistic, Paul, and, and I've got so many issues, and you don't know the bills I have to pay. Yeah, I do. But what are we burdened about? What's, what's more important, that we're burdened about our problems or that we're burdened about the things of the Lord who can deliver us from any of those problems? I want to be distressed and in debt and discontented about the things that the Lord cares about instead of what I care about. I want to be burdened with the Spirit and what the Spirit wants instead of burdened with myself. I want a heart that's restless for the Lord to work. Restless for the Lord. Lord, Lord come on now. You've got to work. I was feeling that as we were worshiping. I was just praying to the Lord saying, God, you've got to work now. Come on. You, you've got to move in our midst. You've got to move in our hearts. You've got to build praise in our hearts. You've got to get us hungry for you because if we're not, we have no hope. Now, how does that happen? How does that come about? What will cause our hearts to be in that place and to stay there? Well, when we look very quickly at what David does after 1 Samuel 22.2. There are six actions, and I want to do these very quickly, and I want you to write them down. There are six actions that he takes that speak both to his spiritual character and his spiritual priorities. These are critical, critical steps if we're going to be burdened for the things of the Lord. And they're very familiar. I'm only going to take maybe 90 seconds, two minutes on each one. But these are critical steps that we have to take so that we will have our hearts in the right place. First of all, go to chapter 22 and verse 3. And let's see, first of all, that David committed himself to wait for the Lord's direction. David committed himself to wait for the Lord's direction. It says, David went there from Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. That one phrase says so much about David's faith that he had determined in his heart that he was going to wait for the Lord's direction, that he was going to, to rest and wait for the Lord to work. You know, it says in Isaiah that when we wait upon the Lord, that's when our strength gets renewed. So David says, look, I, I, I got a situation here, and even though it seems counterintuitive, and my mind is telling me to rush ahead and try to solve the problem because I'm pretty smart and I'm a warrior, and I can probably figure out a tactical way to deal with this crisis, and even though it's uncertain, I'm sure God will help me if I just kind of move forward without him. He realizes that there's nothing better than waiting on the Lord. So even though he's on the run, 
and he's hiding, and the king wants to kill him, and he's got this motley bunch of 400 people who are depressed and, and despondent, and even though he has to ferret his mom and dad to the, to the pagan king of Moab, and, and there's no sign that he's going to become king anytime soon, if, if that was our situation, how would you and I react? Here's what David does. He says, I'm waiting until the Lord shows me what to do. You're not going to move me off of that. I'm going to wait until God shows me what he's going to do. Now that's faith. That is spiritual maturity. And if you and I can learn, if we can learn, that's the word the Bible says, to walk by faith, and we can learn to be content in all things, no matter what the circumstances, then God will lead us clearly and faithfully and in his perfect timing. David's in crisis, and he says, nope, nobody talk to me. I'm just going to wait until God shows me what to do. Commit yourself today to following the Lord's direction. Commit yourself to being patient and wait for the Lord to work. Second thing, David sought mature spiritual counsel. Chapter 22, verse 5. Again, you can read these this week. The prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, depart, and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went to the forest at Harith. Doesn't seem like an important detail, right? Hey, go over here. David went over there. Why does the Holy Spirit take time to explain that? Well, it shows that David had this prophet Gad who was giving him an extra level of spiritual discernment so David made the right decision. How many know that you can never have enough godly counsel in your life? You can never have enough people speaking truth into you. And, and notice that David does this even though he's already close to the Lord, even though he's already a prophet, and even though God has already said, you're my king, you're my man, you're the one who's going to lead. So why does David need extra counsel? David needs extra counsel because he knows temptation. And he knows spiritual warfare. And he knows how powerful self is. So as he's seeking the Lord, as he's waiting on the Lord, he says to another godly person, what should I do? Give me some counsel here. And God says to him, go. Go. Go to that place. Second thing is to seek godly counsel. Third, David endured of the Lord. Excuse me. Sorry. My eyes are not great anymore. David inquired of the Lord. Very different, right? David inquired of the Lord, and he does this four times. Go to chapter 23 and verse 2. Start in verse 1. Then they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are plundering the threshing floors. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the rank of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. Now go over to chapter uh, 23 and verse 11. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Oh, excuse me, start in verse 10. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah. Now that they're there, now that they're winning the battle, now Saul found out and he's going to come down. Saul seeking to come to 
Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant heard? In other words, I came down here. I'm helping the people of Keilah. I beat the Philistines. Now Saul found out, are the people going to give me up? The Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the man of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Four times in the matter of 12 verses, David inquires of the Lord. David says, Lord, I need your direction. I need your help. Every time before he advanced against the enemy, you see throughout the Old Testament, David prayed fervently. This was a pattern with David. Now, you say, why did he pray twice? God told him the first time he was going to do it. So why did he come back and pray the second time? Well, he heard the opinion of people who didn't have any faith, for one thing. But the real reason is not that David didn't hear from the Lord or he was scared what the people thought or because he wanted God to try to approve his plans. He did it because he wanted to be so sure that the Lord was with him. Is that a quality? Honestly, think about this. Is that a quality that describes each of us? That we want to be so sure, Lord, here's the next step. It seems like it's logical. It seems like what I'm supposed to do. But Lord, I'm not moving forward until you approve it. And even when you answer me and tell me, I'm going to ask you again. Because I want to make sure that I am hearing you correctly. And you know what's powerful about prayer? Every one of the four times that David asked, God answered. If you keep seeking the Lord, and I keep seeking the Lord, we keep saying, Lord, give us direction. Lord, show us what to do. Lord, is this right? Lord, is this my next step? Do you think God's going to say, ah, I don't really feel like responding to you today because it's a Sunday and I'm off? Or, or I, got, I got a game to watch at 3, so can you get back to me tomorrow? Now, I know I'm being facetious, but I think sometimes we treat prayer like that. Like, well, I'll pray, but I don't think God's going to answer. No, when we pray, God answers. That's how it works. That's the equation. You call, I'll answer. So David prays four times that God answers each of the four times. And if you look back at Psalm 142 later, you'll see in the last three verses, after David was so distressed and said, nobody cares about me, nobody's helping me, nobody, nobody wants to be with me, he prays with confidence. He says, Lord, you're my refuge, and Lord, you're my portion, and Lord, you hear and deliver, and Lord, your mercy and your blessings are abundant. In other words, everybody else let me down. These guys that are with me, these 400, boy, Lord, I can't even believe these guys. They, they just, they bring nothing but, Lord, you're faithful. Number four, quickly, David defended what was right. Oh, this is so important. This is so important. Chapter 23, verse 5. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Then David delivered the, the inhabitants of Keilah. When David saw injustice, when people were being persecuted and treated unfairly as the Philistines were doing to the people of Keilah, he went and fought evil and God gave him victory. Listen, it is never easy to challenge sin and it is increasingly difficult to stand for what's right but that's our calling and we can't shy away from it and again when we do this the Lord doesn't leave us on his own on our own why because the battle is whose tell me the battle's the Lord's 
It's not my battle. It's not your battle. The spiritual warfare that we're in, that's not us against the devil. It's the devil against the Lord. And the more you walk with the Lord, the more intense the battle's going to get because the devil hates God and God's already defeated the devil. The battle is the Lord's. So if you're in the middle of it, call on the name of the Lord, defend what's right. And you know what? When we do that, God will defend us and God will help us and he'll show us deliverance and he'll show us victory. That's what he does for David. Number five, David didn't seek revenge. I wish we had time to develop this, but we don't. Chapter 24, verse 4. Chapter 24, verse 4. David's hiding in a cave, verses 1 and 2. And Saul comes in to go to the bathroom. That's what the text says. And David and his men are way back in the cave. And look at what they say when they realize that Saul's up there. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day. Oh, it sounds spiritual, doesn't it? This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. In other words, David, finally, finally we've got him. He's been running after us and chasing us, and we're hiding in caves, and now you've got him in a vulnerable position, and David, now it's time. Now, go get him. This is the first of two times when, that was, uh, when there was an opportunity for David to kill Saul. And his friends are urging him, do it, do it, do it. Be very careful about counsel that you're not sure is 100% godly. Because Proverbs says twice that there's a way that seems right to us, but it actually leads to death. Anything that's sinful Anything that's proud has the scent of death and hell. And while it may have seemed logical and strategic that he should kill Saul at this point, and it would have felt good to get back at Saul because Saul had thrown a spear at his head in the palace and Saul had treated him poorly and Saul hadn't given him respect after he killed Goliath and Saul had constantly gone against him and undermined him to his friend Jonathan and he had chased him all through the desert and he had tried to kill him and he had made David live a life that he shouldn't have had to live. It would have felt great to get back at him. But that wasn't what God wanted. The enemy will constantly incite us. Listen now, very carefully. I'm almost done. The enemy will constantly incite us to act in our flesh and get vengeance. But the Lord says, if it's wrong and it's evil, you let me handle it. You let me handle it because I'm the only one who has the right. And that's what David does. David says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take vengeance against Saul. And that leads to the last thought. David was careful. Think about the first thing that Saul did. David was careful not to supersede God's plan to fulfill his own desires. Chapter 24, look at verses 6 and 7. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. David doesn't harm Saul. He goes up and he cuts off a piece of his robe. 
And even after that, he feels guilty because he thought, you know what, that's disrespectful and that's hurtful. And this is the one the Lord has anointed for this time. Now you say, well, David was anointed by Samuel. David was the right king. Yeah, but in David's mind, until he was sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, Saul was still the king and he wasn't going to touch him. And notice, even though his friends are saying, come on, Come on, do it, do it. Come on, David, go up there and kill him. You got him right now. You got him right where you want him. David says to them, and and he persuades them. I love this word right here in verse 7. It says that he persuaded them not to harm Saul. See, David influenced people who came to him originally with frustration that things weren't right. And he said, no, that's not the way we're going to think. Are we influencing people to listen to the Lord and to do what's right and what's holy? Or are we exacerbating the situation by adding it in a way that's unholy? Which is it? I mean, what are we doing now? Are, are, we, are we training people? See, David only acted with righteous reasons. And that was very powerful. The influence that you and I can have on each other is profound. Either positively or negatively. That shows in the fact that David took these people who were were despondent and he said, I'm going to teach you about faith. I'm going to teach you about God's provision. I'm going to teach you about righteous decision making. I'm going to teach you about following the Lord's will at all times. I'm going to teach you not to act in your flesh and not to get revenge, but to just follow what the Lord wants. What a contrast to Saul who was impatient and selfish and openly disobeyed and sought revenge. And his life was in constant turmoil. And he even says to David at the end, and this I'm done. When Saul goes out of the cave and David stands up in the mouth of the cave and he says, hey, Saul. Saul's like, wait, 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 what? Is that you, David? Hey, Saul. We were in the cave. And I could have killed you. Let me show you how I could have killed you. Here's part of your robe. I didn't kill you. I didn't attack you because I'm trying to follow what the Lord says. And you're still God's anointed, even though you know I'm king. But, but you're still God's anointed. And you know what Saul says to him? Even, even unrighteous, arrogant Saul, he says, David, you're more righteous than I am. And God's going to help you. The influence that we can have on people when we are preoccupied with the Lord. What's your heart preoccupied with this morning? Is it what's not holy and what's not God's will? Or are you increasingly restless and hungry for the things of the Lord? That's such an important question. Let me say it one more time and I'm going to pray. Are are you seeking after and preoccupied with what's not of the Lord? Or are you restless and hungry for the things of the Lord? In other words, are you Saul or are you David? That's an important question. And we have to evaluate that. Because how we answer that honestly will determine how we live. Let's close our eyes. I know this has been long and you've listened so well, but just take one minute. You and the Lord, don't don't get distracted now and don't start to 
put things away or get ready to leave. Just use a little, you and the Lord right now, quietly. What's God saying to your heart this morning? The Lord is stirring us. We live in a difficult time. It's getting harder and harder to stand for the Lord. We're not the majority. What's God calling you to? What's God stirring you to? We can follow after our own ways and we can live like Saul did and do what seems to make sense to us. Or we can hunger and thirst after righteousness and we can seek after the Lord. We can say, Lord, we're not doing anything without your approval. It is a huge disparity. But it's really the only two options. There's really not a middle ground here. Either you're hungry for the Lord or you're not. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want to, I want to challenge each of us. Lord, help us now. That if you're not hungry for the Lord, you're not, you're not thirsting after righteousness. I mean, it's not, it's not a burden that you say to the Lord right now, between you and the Lord, Lord, I, I need the joy of my salvation. Restore to me that hunger and that thirst for righteousness. Maybe you've never had it. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Well, there's no better time than right now. Sin will drag you to death. Sin will drag you to bondage. Sin will drag you to hell. You know that because you've experienced it in your life. There's no freedom. There's no joy. God is speaking to you and he's saying, turn your heart to me. Turn your life over to me because I love you and I'm gracious and I've saved you and I want to deliver you from that and give you the joy that you can have through me. I pray this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, that right now you'll do that. And after the service, we'd love to talk to you about it. Just come up to the front. Just say hi and we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. Because it will change your life forever. Today's the day. Today's the day. To stop following yourself and start trusting in Christ. Today's the day. Where is our heart this morning? Where is your heart spiritually? Are you burdened for the Lord? Are you burdened for the things of the Lord? Or are you dull? God is ready and willing to change your heart. And he will restore you and put you in a place where you will find joy and you'll find peace and you'll find strength and there will be power because he is sufficient. I pray that we will not ignore this word that God's given to us this morning.